How are you doing this morning? Hopefully you're doing well. And on this nice, chilly morning, uh, my thermometer said it was like seven degrees outside here. It's just slightly chilly. Uh, probably ought to at least have on a hoodie to go out with uh, uh, in your shorts when you go outside today. So uh, just a little on the chilly side. So anyway, and guess it's consistent across Belmont. Uh, Steve's saying it's same same over there, seven degrees outside. Doesn't matter. Outside, we're inside, and hopefully you have heat going on in your house, and uh, you're nice and toasty warm. Uh, and uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about temperature. We're here to talk about the Savior. We're here to talk about Luke chapter 7, that's where we are, halfway through the chapter. 
So this is Luke chapter 7, part 2. Again, considering how Jesus has the the power to heal and forgive, and in that power, he verifies his identity, authenticates his identity. He, in fact, is a Savior. Now, John uh, had followers, John the Baptist and uh, John the Baptizer, as we've called him, uh, and they wanted to know. Uh, they, they've been hearing about what Jesus is doing, his healing, his raising the dead, and so they have the question, are you, in fact, the one who is to be sent? And so they come asking that question. So let's jump into the text here and just see. Oh, those of you that live in the deep south like Rhode Island and Lancaster, uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, stop boasting about your balmy temperatures down there of 17 and 28 degrees. <laughs> yeah, cold there too. So anyway, here we go. In the text, Luke chapter 7, <clears throat> John's disciples told him about these things. Two of them, calling two of them, told who? John's disciples told John. John is still on the scene in the book of Luke at this point. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Uh, When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, uh, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Excuse me, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Excuse me. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge... No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury or in palaces. And John was not in the palace. He was out in a desert place. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is not one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people... Uh, Even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. To what then can I compare the people's generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you. You did not dance. We sang a dirge. You did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. Yet the Son of Man came eating and drinking. You say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her children.
children. So, I mean, you can compare John the Baptist and his antics and Jesus and his approach to things vastly, vastly different. Uh, They didn't want to hear what John the Baptist had to say. They said, uh, you know, because he did not eat bread or drink wine, because he was out in uh, the desert area, because he was... um, not going about things in the in the more normal and accepted way. Well, he he must have a demon. He's a crazy dude. That that guy John the Baptist. Sometimes there are people among us who just seem so off from us, but who are calling out to us uh, that we should be turning to the Lord. Friends, I would say we should listen to them. Uh, it, they may dress differently. They may sound differently. They may have, uh, may seem to be bubbles off from what we think is normal. But if they are calling us to submit to the Lord, if they are calling us to surrender to the Lord, if they're calling us to walk with the Lord, if they're calling us to repent before the Lord, if they're calling us to trust in the Lord, we should be listening to them. Problem is, we get we're, we're much too comfortable. We're we're much too uh, wanting just to kind of blend in with the world. Yet we are called to be a peculiar people. We're called to be different than the world around us. And yet, what has happened in uh, contemporary Christianity, especially Christianity in the West, is well, you know, we we don't want to be so different that we're perceived as weird. Why? Peter said something about being peculiar people. Uh, maybe somebody can look up that verse and tell us where it's found, where where Peter said that. You know, you're a peculiar people. It's, it's peculiar is used in the King James, uh, but you know, we're we're not to be just like the world around us. We're to be like Jesus. We're to have different priorities. We're to have different values. We're to have. Now, I'm not saying we have to purposely make ourselves bizarre. I'm not saying that. But the things that are of kingdom value are not the things that are of value in the world, and vice versa, and more importantly, vice versa. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was watching, uh, there's a video of uh, Patrick Mahomes walking into the stadium in Buffalo, and he had on his fancy shoes and his fancy shirt and his fancy glasses, pulling his little fancy Bag Patrick Mahomes, if you don't know who he is, the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, who, by the way, won last night, much to my chagrin. But anyway, they won. And all that money and all that indulgence and all that opulence and all that luxury uh, is opposite of the way of Jesus. I got thinking, what if they took that money? I mean, how much how much could be done with all that opulence if that money were to go to places in need, places in Pakistan, as an example, uh, places in um, Iraq, Iran, where believers have needs, even to Israel, uh, where there, there are believers, Christians, sending aid to people in need of aid, uh, South Sudan. I could go on and on and on, and, and and that would be and that would be my message if I were talking to Christian NFL football players, which I will be doing, at least to one, 
uh, in the challenge, you're a believer, right? Yeah. So, okay, let's talk for a minute here. Let's talk about, you know, where's your investment? You know, yes, you need to take care of yourself for, for your life. I, I get that. I understand that. But where's your investment? You know, come with me. Let's let's go to South Sudan and, you know, let's see what the needs are there. And let's let's think about your network of relationships and think about what you guys could possibly do in a place like that. Would you pray for that uh, conversation? Um I need to have it because I just look and it just, it just, I'm not impressed. The world is impressed. We, we should not be impressed. And yet here's what's going on. John was so different. Uh, this one and, and Jesus says that this one is greater. He's talking about John the Baptist, John the Baptist being so much greater because he was preparing the way for the Lord. Uh, and down at verse 33. I just want to highlight these things. John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. So he lives in that way. And yet it says this, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, Jesus didn't meet the law. Uh, in fact, maybe in some ways, John didn't meet the, the law code either in, in some of what he did and where he lived and whatnot. John was vastly different than the religious culture of his day. Jesus was vastly different than the religious culture of his day. And, and one of the things that I would say to you is, you know, are we on mission for God? Whether you live the life like John the Baptist lived it, lived it, are you on mission for God? Or whether you live it in the way that maybe Jesus lived it, are you on mission for God? Are you pointing people to Jesus? Am I pointing people to Jesus? Whether we don't eat bread or don't drink wine, or whether we do eat bread or do drink wine. So here's my illustration that I use on a on a somewhat frequent basis. I mean, you know, if if you're having a party and you eat uh, white cake and vanilla ice cream, will you talk about Jesus? Will you make him the center? I've been around Christian people who have vanilla ice cream and white cake and have a birthday party. They say a a brief prayer giving thanks for someone's birthday and thanks for the food, never to talk about Jesus for the next three hours. I've also been around people who are eating salads or drinking chicken wings. and, and, and uh, I say drinking chicken wings, eating chicken wings, uh, uh, or fries and drinking dark beer and smoking cigars, uh, who are talking deeply of Jesus and sitting in even in a bar environment and and talking to uh, servers and other people around them and having open Bibles and things like that. You know, some would say, well, that's just not the Christian way. But wait a minute. Which way is not the Christian way? Now, I'm not advocating that you should be a drinker or not be a drinker. Uh, I'm not advocating you should smoke cigars or not smoke cigars. I'm not advocating whether you should eat vanilla ice cream and, and white cake. I'm not doing any of that. But what I am saying is you, you compare the two. You compare Jesus and you compare John the Baptist, and they found fault with either one of them. The The implication of verse uh, 34 here is, you know, Jesus was hanging out with the wrong crowd. But when he was hanging out with the wrong crowd, you see it, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. You say there's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You know, they're saying he ate, he's hanging out with the wrong crowd. He's eating the wrong food. He's probably drinking wine. 
probably drinking beer, probably, you know, he shouldn't be doing those things. He shouldn't be hanging out at Rollies. He shouldn't be over at uh, Bowen's Tavern. He shouldn't be. Wait a minute. If you go and you're on mission for Jesus, if you go and you keep Christ in the center, if you go and you converse about Jesus, if you go and talk about new life in Christ, that's what matters. We are called to make disciples who will make disciples. And and John had his approach. Jesus had his approach. They had one mission, one message, turn to God. That was the message, turn to God. Not turn to legalism, uh, not turn to following all the laws, not t- turn to moralism. No, none of those things. It was turn to Christ. Let me tell you, if you turn to Christ and you have a sincere Real, true, honest encounter with Jesus, he will change your morality from the inside out. You won't have to think about obeying the laws so that you can be a good Christian. You will just want to love Jesus. You will want to reflect Jesus. You will want to follow Jesus. You will want to do the right things, not because, oh, if I do the right things, I'll be a good Christian and get accepted in heaven. No, just because you love Jesus. That's why you will do what are the right things. Jesus concludes this in verse 35, wisdom is proved right by her children. What is proved right is is people following after Jesus. That is what proves it right. So whichever approach you take, uh, the Baptist approach or the Presbyterian approach. Why do I say Presbyterian? Well, because sometimes Presbyterians are the ones who drink beer and smoke cigars. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the Reformed, some of the Reformed are, are very much that way, the Calvinistic people. And, and I don't want to get all lost in all that type of thing. I, what I do want to get lost in is, is lost in following after Jesus. Now, you might say to me, what about you? What What's your approach? Well, I, I've never really smoked any tobacco at all. Uh, notice I said tobacco. They were Before I became a Christian, yes, I did smoke marijuana before I was a Christian. In my early teen years, never smoked anything since. Would I ever smoke a cigar or a pipe? I might give it a try. I wouldn't feel like I was infringing sinfully. I just don't know if I'd like it. Uh, what about alcohol? Uh, that's because it's in the text here. What about alcohol? Well, when I first became a Christian, I, I ran away from alcohol. I, I smashed up whatever alcohol I had around me. I, I thought if you drank alcohol, you were a wicked sinner. And, uh, or to put it in the main, main, uh, terminology, a wicked a sinner. Uh, but as I grew, I began to understand, understand the scriptures that it is not a sin to drink alcohol. It is a sin to be drunk. It is a sin to make someone else stumble. So you have to be cognizant of those things in your in your eating and in your drinking that will you make someone else stumble. Yet I know some Christians who are so bent on not letting somebody else stumble that they don't point people to Jesus uh, in their liberties. Uh, I know Christians who will post pictures of, look at my drink. Well, why? Why do you have to do that? Uh, you, okay, you have liberty to, to drink. Uh, Jesus had liberty to drink. It's it's right here in the text. He turned water into wine, John chapter 2. I believe it's there. But he pointed people to salvation. He pointed people to repentance. He pointed people to, 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 to faith. He pointed people to the Father. So John the Baptist didn't do any of those things. He pointed people to repentance. Jesus did do those things. He pointed people to repentance. 
Wisdom is proved right by her children, by the outcome. What is the outcome of your life? What is the outcome of my life? John had the question. John's disciples, John's followers had the question, are you the one whom we should be following or should we seek another? And Jesus answers it with this, let all that I've done speak for itself. That makes it clear. All that I've done is evidence of the fact that I am the one who is to come. Now, let's continue on a little bit further down into the text here. And uh, see, the next thing that Jesus does that, that to them is absolutely horrific, picking up in verse 36, it says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, they didn't sit at tables like we do. They didn't sit at pub tables. I have a higher, like, pub size. I don't know what they call that, higher table. Uh they actually reclined, would sit on the ground. They didn't have chairs, sat on the ground around a table. So that's why it says they reclined. And he did go. I mean, Jesus went to anybody's house. You invite me to your house, I'm going to come to your house. It says there were a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, probably a prostitute, uh, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, now his feet were likely behind him as he was reclining. It says, she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, so we know that this Pharisee, his name must have been Simon, has something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debt of both. Now to which of them, now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, some question, is he speaking to Simon being Peter, or is he speaking to um, a Pharisee named Simon? There's, uh, <clears throat> at least to me, it's a little unclear which Simon he is speaking to. We know one of his followers is, is Simon. But it seems to indicate that the Pharisee's name might have been Simon as well. He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You do not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my uh, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. It's an act of humility. You do not pour oil on my head, but she has perfume, uh, poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
the other guests began to say to themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, there's so many different things I can pull out of this section. Uh, One thing being that there is no prayer. She never prayed. That was a question. Is there a sinner's prayer? Um, There's a sinner's surrender. I, I, I will go that far. Uh, and sometimes our faith is activated or demonstrated. Our faith in God is demonstrated through a prayer. But it says nothing about her praying a sinner's prayer. And sometimes like, if you didn't pray the prayer, how do you really know you're saved? Well, she is weeping at Jesus' feet. She is wetting his feet with her tears. She is wiping his feet with her hair. She is pouring expensive perfume on his feet. Is that not an indication of love? Is it not an indication of faith? I don't think that a person has to pray the prayer. I I, I do think that uh, you know there, there are measures and levels, and Jesus makes it quite clear here that the one who is forgiven much will love much, and because the one who's forgiven much will love much. Uh, their actions will speak for themselves. Their actions will speak for themselves. Actions of surrender, actions of worship, actions of prayerfulness, actions of so many different things that that the Lord will um, draw out of us that will demonstrate our faith. He forgave her sins. He said, you have earned salvation. She would go away and have peace of soul that she had not had before. Jesus Christ has the power to heal. Jesus Christ has the, the power to forgive. Jesus Christ can, can, can take all that is broken, all that is ashes, all that has been smashed up in, in, in the tide of life and can make something beautiful out of it if you will surrender your life to him. So, John and Jesus, vastly different in their approach. John and Jesus, exact same message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And so we see the repentance the repentance of this woman, the repentance of this woman who did not deserve to be in this Pharisee's home, yet coming into this home and bowing at Jesus' feet. Whether you've ever prayed that prayer or not prayed the prayer, there is a model prayer right there uh, in the comments written by Don that, that you could pray that prayer uh, that is often called the sinner's prayer. But if you've never prayed that prayer, my best friend in college, his name was Dan. Dan grew up as a Catholic, Dan Shoreline, and uh, he never prayed the sinner's prayer, but as he's reading the Bible one day, he just realized, you know, I love Jesus Christ, and, and I trust him. It wasn't a prayer, it was a realization. And uh, he has walked with Jesus for many, many, many years now, 40, 44 years now, roughly, and uh, following after Christ. So, Jesus has the the power to heal. Jesus has the power to forgive. Do you need his forgiveness today? Do you need his healing today? Do you need his strength in your life today? 
I encourage you, bow before him, kneel before him, surrender to him, trust in him, and see what he will do for you. We don't need to look for another. We only need to look for Jesus. So, Jesus, help us today to look to you. Help us today to follow after you. Help us today to be surrendered to you. For the one in need of healing, would you bring healing? For the one in need of cleansing, bring cleansing. Father, in all of our lives, may we be the reflection of Jesus to an onlooking world. Help us to point others to you in Jesus' name. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. See you tomorrow.